the increasingly cynical 1960s, Clint Eastwood's screen persona was just what the moviegoer ordered. Additionally, as the movie started to become the province of the young, Clint Eastwood, 23 years younger than John Wayne, seemed a much more contemporary hero. He didn't mind admitting that he sort of got a kick out of killing. So, with Clint Eastwood, the Western hadn't died yet, it had just gotten a little younger. You know, looking at these two together, the two probably greatest Western heroes in right. the history of American movies, John Wayne and Clint Eastwood, I think they're in the category by themselves. They do have one thing in common, though, even though Eastwood plays a much less positive person and sometimes even plays a villain, they both say hardly anything at all. And Eastwood is famous for taking lines and lines and lines out of his script. And the first spaghetti western, right. he threw out two-thirds of the dialogue. And Wayne he always said he was the reactor rather than the actor. That's huh? right. So you let everybody, let all the town folk talk. Let the preacher talk. Let the women folk talk. And the guy who just stands there with the light behind him, he's the strong authority figure, which is important. Now, so. It's very important. And I wonder if the time is right now for a return. Because mm -hmm. I think what people want now, it seems you can see in the presidency of Reagan, mm -hmm. is a strong leader. And you get it in the Western like no other genre film at all. The one lightning rod, the galvanizing force. You feel secure when you go to a Wayne or Eastwood Western. Somebody's going to take know, care of business. You may have something there, King, because the Western is not a forum for introspection or for second-guessing or for wondering if I did the right thing or not. These are men who take their course of action, see it clear through to the end, and do it. Yeah. At, least, better or worse. at least in a commercial sense, where you want to get the audience roused up. I mean, it's possible to make a nihilistic Western, but it probably won't sell. And that, of course, is what is required to keep the Western going. And especially now at this time where all the adventure movies, even like all the Indiana Jones pictures, are extremely simple. We're back to a time, I think, of reinventing the wheel when it comes to adventure pictures. Next right. is a movie. We look at some of the forces that may have contributed to the death of the Western. Junk food supper. 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 All right, welcome to Junk Food Supper, episode number twelve, the world's oldest podcast. This week we review the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm your host Sean Byron, joined as always by the host with the most, Parker Bowman. What's new, Bowman? Uh, nothing much. Just survived the uh, the bombings last night. The bombardment oh my of, of fireworks and, and hellfire that uh, comes from living in this godforsaken state. Felt like a goddamn scene out of The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly last night. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I thought the, the bridge leading away from my home would be, you know, uh, completely destroyed by the, the bombardments. Yeah, my poor little dogs were the, the Union soldiers. They're just getting bombarded. They're scared, fighting for their lives. I mean, I, I saw I saw those photos of them covered in soot. I thought that they were Confederate soldiers. <laughs> yeah, uh, little Kepi, he he died on the bridge. I tried to give him the last drag of my cigar before he died, but he just <laughs> he just died. <laughs> oh well, he's in a better place now. You know, now that that goddamn bridge is gone. It's true. It is true. Yeah, the the smoke is. Just starting to lift over here, I feel like I'm still living in a in a cloud of July Fourth smoke, and that's not just uh, you know in my office here where I smoke weed, but actually outside. <laughs> and w what a relief! It's all over, and I survived. Well, it's not all over. I mean, as we know, like I mean, it's, uh, two weeks before and two weeks after the holidays, prime fireworks time. <laughs> yeah. Certainly, there, there will be a, a little bit of runoff, but it hopefully, I mean, and I guess we'll see as we record this episode, we're kind of recording in peak firework time. And yeah, maybe this is a little test for, for my neighborhood to see 
have you guys matured at all over the years or are you still blowing up fireworks <laughs> on non-holidays? Well, I hope the best for your neighborhood. I hope that they're good good people over there, not just blowing stuff up and oogling silly lights in the sky. It, I mean, it was crazy last night. I mean, it's, it's been crazy for the past, I don't know, four or five years, I feel like. But it was, it was pretty nuts, man. And, and going strong until like three in the morning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same here. We had uh, we've got these oaky neighbors, and like they were just outside with bottle rockets all all night long, just having a good old time. And a very highly, like our houses are like packed real tightly together here in this like, little cul-de-sac we live in, and they're just having a good old time with it. On a dang blasted Tuesday night. Mm-hmm. What in the world? I don't know what this world's coming to. Well, speaking of what this world is coming to, I did marathon the Indiana Jones movies leading up to the fifth Indiana Jones. So I've seen all five uh, within the past week. And I I just wanted to shout out, still love that Raiders, still love that Temple of Doom, still think Last Crusade's a little bit overrated, still think uh, Crystal Skull a little bit underrated. I, I don't hate that movie. I think it's... You know, it's not great, but it's a watchable adventure movie. And this new one, Indy 5, is pretty awful, sad to say. Um, did not really enjoy virtually anything about it, but but especially the, the <laughs> CGI de-aging, which is ever-present and looks god-awful. It's, it's, it will never probably look great, but it just looks terrible currently and it's 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 not a technology that i think is ready for prime time at least on a big screen i mean but but i hear other people actually were not distracted by that so who knows yeah i i've i've seen it done well a couple of times but it's usually like real like real bit parts like kurt russell like his scene where he's on earth like in the 70s and guardians of the galaxy 2 i think that looks good and um, Michael Douglas in one of the Ant-Man movies. Like, that looks good. But like every other time, it's horrible. Like It's really bad in like Star Wars for whatever reason. You would think that the, the biggest franchise in the world would have the most access to this technology. But like when Luke Skywalker shows up in Mandalorian, it looks like absolute garbage. So yeah, it's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not ready, this technology. It sucks. And for you know, a franchise that was built on practical effects like it and i know that there was cg and crystal skull but i feel like even that movie had like a, a much higher percentage of what looked like practical stunts this thing just feels like a fucking video game and the story is bad this new character um this british um chick who i, I forget her name but she sucks the whole thing so don't don't waste your time <laughs> I'm sad to say, I mean, because I was actually kind of hyped. I mean, I mm-hmm. love love the originals, still like Harrison Ford, uh, but I, yeah, just a big misfire. Yeah, that's what I've heard. People don't seem seem thrilled about this. I, I have no interest in it, but so I watched like a review, like some of my YouTube guys that I like made a review of it and I watched it. I was like, well, I'm never going to see this movie. I might as well just watch the spoiler review. And then they like laid out the entire plot. And yeah. I was like, holy shit, that plot is so stupid that yeah. I now regret not seeing this movie because <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, it's like still, still playing. I mean, you could still see it and, and you know, marvel at, at how insane it goes <laughs> because it, it's, 
I mean, obviously, it's it's not a series that was completely grounded to begin with. There's fantastical elements, you know, the whole the whole arc, you know, that whole thing. It's you know, that's something out of a a fantasy film, I guess. But yeah, the <laughs> the levels of insanity that this thing descends into, and for what reason? I don't I don't know because it, it doesn't result in any interesting character moments, and it doesn't result in any like incredible action scenes or anything like that. Um, but I think that they just thought that they had to go bigger conceptually, I guess, with the character because he had done so many incredible things before. I don't know, but didn't like it. Yeah. Well, that's kind of the beauty of the character is that like he does these fantastic things, but there are fantastic things that are rooted in like real world stuff, you know, like the arc, may or you know possibly existed in real life you know like maybe there's guys out there who know something about voodoo you know like maybe they're you know whatever they were looking for in part three um maybe there are actual there are there were at one point actual crystal skulls you know so like it's rooted in like real world mythology you know like probably not like real real like there's probably not magic out there but it's like rooted in real world stuff whereas what i've heard about this one is just like ah fuck it it's we're doing star wars now yeah or a video game it just felt like a video game to me um so oh well it was nice to see uh marion ravenwood back on screen you know that was all right other than that not too much well i'm sorry i know i knew i know you were hyped for it so i'm sorry it didn't work out for you well you know i've got mission impossible in a couple weeks that will maybe uh cheer me up in terms of modern filmmaking, which well, I think will feature probably less CGI and more practical action scenes. Oh yeah. I think, yeah, for sure. And then if that doesn't work, you got Barbie, which is going to be a, a bang count it. Yeah. Day one by. Yeah. It's uh, all the buzz is very positive. So I maintain my, my interest level at, at a, you know, fever pitch for Barbie. Yep. Me too. I'm very excited for it. Would you say it's your your number one, you know, most excited film of the year, if that's a turn of phrase I could use? Um, well, it would have been Guardians of the Galaxy 3. But for the rest of the year, um, maybe. I, there's that Scorsese that's coming out. So it's... Yeah. That, and, and there's then like, that Yorgos. The Yorgos Frankenstein. Well, I'm, that looks good. I've never seen a Yorgos, so I'm not like super excited for it but it does look good and then i think i think one of my boys has something coming out this year like maybe link later or like maybe like it might be the guy who did green room jeremy saulnier somebody like that i think has something coming out this year some one of those guys i like a lot so we'll see but it's it, barbie barbie's up there no bomb box involved he's like one of my main dudes right now and so is greta Gerwig. I, I love i love that couple so pretty hyped well are you hyped for any kind of segment that we might have prepped for this week? <laughs> Indeed so. We have the most perfect segment to go along with the movie we're doing. We're doing The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. A movie. <laughs> um, that, uh, that, that uh, inspired us to create, you and I, I mean, to create a, a, uh, a segment called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. That we've been doing for several years. 
<laughs> which actually we're going to change the name of. Uh, thanks to a helpful listener in the Discord. It makes more sense to call it the good, the bad, and the weird. So this will be the last time it's called the good, the bad, and the ugly, just to <laughs> coincide with the movie. But uh, but I think the good, the bad, and the weird like kind of describes what the segment is a little bit better, since nobody knows what ugly means. Um, and judging by the movie, it just means very bad. So, um, <laughs> And also, so does good. Good also means that. It should, should be called the bad, the bad, and the bad. But... Uh, but <laughs> We're going to do a good, the bad, and the ugly of just Westerns. <laughs> Almost slipped it by me that time. <laughs> I apologize. Uh, so I think, I, you know, I think by virtue of the fact that this is junk food supper, that probably implies we're going to be doing movies, but I have one book on my list. So, Oh, well, I don't that, be. that throws a, a wrench into anything, but, um, but uh, I guess I'll go first. I guess I'll go first. I got a good, okay. yeah. a good one. I don't know. Is it a book? Um, Is it a movie? This one's a movie. Oh, okay. Uh, it's a movie that I I like a great deal. It's called High Noon, starring Gary Cooper. Um, oh yes, High Noon. Yeah, I'm. I'm not a big Western guy. I like I like some stuff, mostly like weird deconstructions of westerns. Oddly enough, but like. This is just like a pretty normal Western for the most part. It's like good guys and bad guys. Like the, um, you've never seen this, right? I don't think so. No. Okay. Yeah. I was asking you about it. Cause I was thinking about maybe picking it for the next show. Like, cause I think you would like it. Um, but I, I, I won't because after watching the good and the bad and the ugly, which is like so grimy and violent and sweaty, like this is kind of more of like a traditional Hollywood thing. And I don't think it would be a good follow up. but, but it's really good. It's, Gary Cooper's like the local sheriff and he gets word that some bad guys are coming to town to get revenge on him. And the train that they're on is like scheduled to come in in 90 minutes. And so the movie takes place in real time as he prepares to, to have a confrontation with these guys and like get ready for them. So you constantly have like this ticking clock of like when the train's going to arrive and like people are always mentioning what time it is and it's in real time. So it's like, um, I don't know. It's like really tense and interesting. It's a really good movie. That sounds cool to me. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I don't think that I've ever seen this, but you know, obviously it's, it's a title I've, I've heard many times as being a classic Western. And for the most part, when I go and watch those classic Westerns, you know, like the big titles, I usually like them. And the only exception is I'm not a huge John Wayne guy. I've yet to really find a, a John Wayne movie that I like super loved. Uh, but Gary Cooper, I'm, I'm hoping to, and if you do want to pick this next week, I, I wouldn't be opposed to it, but, uh, okay. if, if you want to hold off, cause you feel like it doesn't pair well with this, I, I also get that. Yeah. I think it's going on the list for sure, but I, I mean, we do have a, a Kevin episode in the middle, so maybe that works as a buffer, but like, I, I do think you'll like it, but it, after good, the good, the bad and the ugly, it's like, I don't know. It, I don't know if it'll work going backwards after that, but, uh, but I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it's going on the list for sure. We'll do it one day because it's really good. But, uh, but what is your good for Westerns? Well, my good is, is a pick that I'm pretty sure that you've probably seen, I think, although I I don't know if we've talked about it or not. And that's, uh, that's Rango from 2011. You ever Mm. seen Rango? I have seen Rango. It's very good. I just love this Rango, man. I I love the, the titular character who, 
you know, even though I saw this in theaters, I think I'm just now realizing that he's probably, that his name is probably a take on Django. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I love him. I love the world that he inhabits. I, I love all the character designs for all these funny lizards and stuff that he's hanging out with. And, uh, you know, Johnny Deppness aside, I think it's just a, just a very fun movie. Uh, you know, it's got all these cool little specific homages to specific Westerns in terms of like the character designs and these little moments that they bake into it. Um, I've always been surprised that they didn't make more of these, to be honest. I mean, it seems like crap, like despicable me will generate like a billion sequels, but somehow, uh, there's only one Rango in the world and, and that's kind of sad, but, uh, did you enjoy this Rango? Indeed I did. Um, yeah, I thought it was fun. Like Gore Verbinski, who directed it, he's got like a fun visual style. Like I think, uh, I don't know what he's up to these days. Maybe he like made some movies that suck or something. Well, I guess the Pirates of the Caribbean sequels kind of suck. But um, so maybe that's what happened to him. But like he has like a cool visual style. He also did that American version of The Ring, which I think is like interesting aesthetically. And the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie has like a cool look about it and stuff. And then this, like, yeah, I think he's got a good eye and he's been able to do a lot of stuff. I mean, like pirates is like a big crazy blockbuster. And then, you know, he did horror movies and then he's doing like this colorful kids movie. So he can do like a lot of stuff. I like that guy. It's just kind of surprising to see a guy, you know, that many films into his career just suddenly be like, I'm going to do a, an animated film that I don't think he had ever done any animation before. And he was good at it. So uh, that's, yeah. that's pretty impressive to me. Yeah. It is weird that they, yeah, like you said, that they didn't do a sequel because, like, I I once read that with animated movies, the cost of doing them is a lot because you have to, like, you know, do all the character designs and, like, design all the animations and stuff from scratch. But then when you make a sequel, it costs, like, a tenth of the amount that the original did because you already have all that, like, the blueprint in place and all the templates in place. So that's why you get, like, 17 fucking Ice Age movies a year. So it is weird that, yeah, they wouldn't have followed up with like at least one sequel or straight to video thing or, or anything. Yeah. Dust off those old computer uh, generated models and, and let's, uh, let's get back to work with Rango too. I agree. Uh, speaking of computer generated models, My Bad is a movie that's a real piece of shit. It's called Cowboys versus Aliens. Oh. <laughs> Do you remember this movie coming out like 10 years ago? Uh, yeah, I, I remember a trailer, but I, I never got around to it. Yeah, um, I saw it. I, I think I saw it in theaters even, but it was like John Favreau's follow up to Iron Man, and Iron Man was like a very good movie. So I was like, oh, this is going to be cool. And like, I like sci fi westerns, you know, like I like um, Briscoe County Jr. and uh, Firefly, the Joss Whedon show, and stuff like that. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be fucking cool. Like cowboys fighting aliens. Like, what more can you want in life? Based on um, a based on a comic book, I think. Yeah, yeah, I believe. Yeah, I think it's like a dark horse comic, or like, yeah, some kind of like indie comic. Um, I've never read it though. But um, yeah, and then like, yeah, it was just, yeah, it was just, it was just like cowboys on like a real stupid looking cowboy set fighting a bunch of cartoon aliens, and it wasn't like good or interesting at all. Why are they like, fighting Dracula for God's sakes? Exactly. It was like all the, it was like, I don't know. It was like bad. It was like kind of a rip off of tremors or something, but like, which is with cartoon aliens. It was really stupid. All of the alien fighting and none of the alien pathos. That's, that's not a mm-hmm. great formula. 
Exactly. So, also, like the main cowboy is like a British guy, and it's like that's not oh good. Oh my god! Yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> Should be illegal. Well, speaking of of British cowboys, actually, there's one in in my bad, which is a movie that I don't. I don't hate, I wouldn't say that I hate this movie, but it's a movie that I think everybody loves. And I saw it for the first time over, you know, the, the pandemic, maybe two, three years ago. And I was just pretty underwhelmed by it. And it's unforgiven. Um, you know, the much later Clint Eastwood movie that I just thought was uh, pretty boring. I thought it was a, a real slog. It's, it's pretty long. And visually, I don't think it looks that good. There's a lot of these scenes, like dialogue scenes, where actors are like facing, like directly, either like towards the sun, and so they're like backlit in a weird way where you can't make out their faces, or they'll be like facing like away from camera. And Clint Eastwood is just like not credible in in the movie. I felt like he just seemed like a kind of a doddering old man. And it's it's a thing where like in in 1966, when Clint Eastwood is a young man and he's kind of stoic and silent and you ask him a question and he just stares at you, that seems tough. But when you do it with like a 75-year-old man, it just seems like he didn't hear the question. And that was kind of like <laughs> the vibe I got from him in this movie was that like he didn't even seem like he wanted to be there for this movie. Uh, there's also a like 30-minute long detour for this guy, English Bob, who we get to learn like a lot about, who I don't even remember factoring into the main plot of the movie. So I, I don't no fucking clue why Richard Harris's English Bob character was such a big part of this, but uh, didn't love it. Um, did you see this either recently and or back in the day? Uh, I saw it about 10 years ago and I thought it was very good. I was going through like a big Clint Eastwood kick at the time. Uh, I watched all the, like the dirty Harry movies and, and, a bunch of the stuff he directed and uh, watched this finally after like hearing, like you said, like everybody loves it. So I was, you know, uh, curious to, to see it. Um, but how long ago did you see it? I want to say probably like three years ago. Oh, okay. Okay. Well then I don't know. I don't know. I think it's very good. I think it actually, it's kind of like works like a sequel to, to the good, the bad and the ugly. As a matter of fact, I feel like, like you, you could like kind of just squint your eyes and it, could be the same character like the man with no name well sergio leone had had the foresight not to put an english bob in his movie though <laughs> well that's true that is true but uh yeah i don't know yeah it's a good movie maybe watch it again one day I could, yeah maybe i will i could have just been in one of my moods <laughs> what about your bad well my ugly oh you're ugly rather yeah. what about your ugly Ugly or weird, ugly or weird. Let's go. I think this it's, is weird. It's still ugly. I think. Yeah. Well, it's a, okay. This is both. This is both weird and ugly. So it's fine. okay. It's a book called Wraiths of a Broken Land. It's by uh, S. Craig Zoller. Okay. Oh, Bone Tomahawk. Yeah, the Tomahawksman. Yeah, he wrote this. Um, I think before making any movies, he wrote this. And uh, I guess they've been trying to turn it into a movie for like a million years, but it's like excessively violent. It makes Bone Tomahawk look like uh, <laughs> look like a Disney movie or something. Like it's crazy violent. It's so good. After watching a bunch of his movies, I bought a bunch of his books and uh, it's wonderful. Like I, I think if you like the movie, The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly, you would like this because it's a bunch of morally ambiguous like 
people that you don't really like kind of uh, trying to one up each other a lot of the way uh, for a lot of it. Um, and it's like, just like, they're all very great characters that even though you don't like them and they're kind of pieces of shit, you like following them. And it's just so unsettling and unnerving and tense and grisly and violent. And uh, it's a, a beautiful, beautiful book that way. And how many breakdance scenes on carnival rides are there in, in this? <laughs> well, there's like three, only three. Okay. All but right. the way he describes the breakdancing, I think, is really great. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's an old Western. There's no breakdancing. Breakdancing had not been invented yet at this point. Not until Marty McFly got back there. Mm-hmm. We all remember that scene where he famously invented breakdancing in the past. Yeah. And then that guy called up uh, Boogaloo Shrimp and said, hey, you know that dance you've been looking for? <laughs> exactly. I get it right here. Exactly. We all remember that. Um, sounds cool. I, I didn't know that the uh, this S. S. Craig Zoller guy was um, an author in addition to being a filmmaker. Yeah. Yeah. That's how he started out. He wrote like three or four books and then... I think the legend goes that he was like trying to get those books made into movies by other people. And then he like, didn't have a lot of luck. So he's like, well, fuck it. I'll just write a new one and turn it into a movie. And that's kind of why he started making movies is because he was sick of not being able to get other people to make his movies, I think. But, uh, but he's a really good writer. Do we yet have a beat on what that S stands for? I'd like to know what this guy's hiding. What kind of name does he have? Slimy? All right. Slimy. Slimy Craig Zoller, they call him. I would have taken the abbreviation as well then. Mm-hmm. It's a weird Christian name. Well, speaking of slimy, um, I got an ugly pick here that is a little bit slimy. Actually, kind of a, a lot bit slimy. Uh, it's a Western called Waterhole Number no. 3 from 1967 that is also kind of a, a remake of The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly with more of a comedic bent. Uh, It stars James Coburn, who, in his words, performs a number of assaults with a friendly weapon in this movie, which is to say that he's kind of an Old West rapist, but they play it for laughs. It's a comedy about Old West rapes that I can't square whatsoever. Like, it, it doesn't make sense that this movie was made. It doesn't make sense that it has so many famous people in it. It's got James Coburn, Carol O'Connor, Bruce Dern, and uh, a small role for character actor Timothy Carey. And it is well-made and sometimes even kind of thrilling in the way that, you know, a lot of 60s Westerns could be. And also kind of funny sometimes, but it is certainly in very poor taste. Um, And the kind of movie that I, I guess they could have only made back then, but, uh, it's a weird one. If you know, if you can tolerate some very strange sexual attitudes, uh, I do think it's worth a watch. But Waterhole Number Three. I've never heard of such a thing, but I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what this sounds. Like. Maybe for Google Summer or something. I'll watch this. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's the kind of movie that you don't really want to admit that you. I mean, you'd probably watch it and not even log it on Letterboxd. You know. Yeah. I saw it at at the New Beverly of all places, and and I remember a lot of groans from the crowd, you know, for certain lines of dialogue where they're like, oh, man, did Coburn really say that? (laughs) Yeah, 
Very sensitive audiences in LA. I, I still look back fondly at that time we saw the entity at the corn going and people were just like <laughs> aghast. Like, <laughs> yeah. It just gasps every three seconds. Well, I'll check it well, out secretly during, during ghoul summer. Yeah. Be a ghoul. A ghoul with a sense of humor. <laughs> that's the best kind. That's a new, yeah, it's a new twist. Uh, speaking well, of a new I, twist. Oh, well, I think that officially concludes this segment the good, the bad, and the ugly. <laughs> Forever. That's the last yeah. time it'll ever happen. Yeah. Um, but the first time, uh, something else will happen. That's a voicemail. We got a voicemail. Oh, hell yeah. From if the transcript is to be believed, a new caller who's never called in before, which is the best kind of caller. Um, so let's let's just get into this. Hi guys, it's uh, <laughs> it's me, Satan, the longtime listener, first time caller. I'm 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 really excited about the upcoming six 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 episode. You guys are. It's going to be a real milestone. And I'm wondering who you're going to sacrifice uh, <laughs> live on air. And um, I'm, I'm curious what movies you guys got planned or if we're just going to watch a bunch of episodes of uh, Dance Moms. <laughs> uh, we actually should watch a bunch of episodes of Dance Moms. That's a, that's a real thing? Dance Moms? I assume so. I mean, I, I believe Satan whenever okay. he talks. So, I mean, there's moms Son out there. Who, 1979 housewife. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are. Yeah, we haven't announced it, I guess. I mean, we've got it on our, our secret list of movies, what Satan movies we're doing in two weeks, but we haven't announced it. So I don't know. I don't know if we should. Actually, I'm still debating what movie to do. I have, I got something on there, but I don't know if I'm certain about it. So maybe we shouldn't announce it. I feel the same way. I mean, I've, I've got a pick that I, I, I don't know, like I, I feel good about, but also there's a lot of pressure involved with this episode 666. I, I feel like if I don't get my movie pick right, I might be the one that gets sacrificed, you know? Yeah. That, well, yeah, that, that's uh, me and Kevin haven't mentioned that part yet, but yeah, whoever picks the, <laughs> the most fredo movie is going to get sacrificed. Yeah. So, and you know, Based on my track record, and I don't feel too confident about my odds. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of torn between doing like a trashy, cheesy Satan movie and like a very like upscale, like highbrow, hoity-toity Satan movie. So I don't know. We'll see which Parker emerges. There's a whole spectrum of satanic movies out there. So could go for something cute. We could go for a you know South Park the movie. But then yeah. I think Kevin might try to sacrifice both of us. Yeah, that's true. That is the only Trey Parker, Matt Stone movie we haven't done yet. So, like, I do feel pressure to do to do it just as a completist. I mean, Satan plays a fairly big part in the movie, right? Am, am I misremembering yeah. that, or he's in it oh, fairly heavily, right? Yeah, he's like the yeah, he's like the plot. Basically, he he makes everything happen. That happens. Yeah. That happens in the climax. So, yeah, he's he's a big character in that. Uh, but we'll see. But but it is confirmed. We are doing a Satan theme show in two weeks for this. Oh yeah, or not in yeah. two weeks, but in two, four weeks or whatever it comes out to. But all right. Well, I guess that's that. If you want to give us some some junk mails, uh, send us some voicemails at three four seven seven four six junk. That's three four seven seven four six five eight six five. 
Let us know what your favorite Satan movies are and if we should pick them. Because we're not sure yet. Also, give us some also, ideas. Also, give also, us ideas. Also, wait, also. Um, give, no. <laughs> give us ideas on movies you think would be movies that we haven't seen that we would give five stars to on Letterboxd. I'm curious as to what, because this is something I've been thinking about. It's been weighing on my mind um, for you, Sean, to find a movie for you. But I'm curious to know what other folks out there would, would throw out for both of us. Yeah, I, I feel like these people that listen to us week after week probably know a little bit about what we like. I think so. I think so. Um, but all right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking about the good, the bad, and the ugly. So stick around. <laughs> oh, wait, hold on. Push it. Do it again. Do it again. Uh? Did you know that there are two ways to help out junk food dinner? The first way involves sacrificing a goat or a human baby on an altar made of dragon bones. Or, next time you're on iTunes, you can leave us a 5-star review. You can write the comment that says everyone should listen to Junk Food Dinner. You can add as many exclamation points as you want. This will help more people find the show on iTunes. Recording each episode of Junk Food Dinner is the most physically and emotionally taxing activity known to man. It leaves us exhausted and bloody after the show. The least you can do is give us a good review. That looks good. That looks really good. The good. Really good. The bad. The ugly. Clint Eastwood. Eli Wallach. And Lee Van Cleef. Three men. Three guns. And the gold. The good. The bad. And the ugly. In color from United Artists of Transamerica Company. Suggested for mature audiences. Second big week exclusively at the Crest Downtown. Second hit, Kill a Dragon. All right, welcome back to Junk Food Supper. The movie that we're reviewing on the show tonight is The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. Directed by Sergio <laughs> Leone uh, from 1966. This is, as we kind of alluded to before, uh, another continuation of my quest for a Parker Bowman five-star movie. And I guess we'll find out tonight uh, if I succeeded in that. It is also, kind of on accident, a July 4th appropriate pick, I would say, in kind of a weird way. Uh, but this movie is the third in the Man With No Name trilogy that Sergio Leone made with Clint Eastwood between 1964 and 1966 that also includes A Fistful of Dollars and For a Few Dollars More. Uh, and speaking of dollars, this entry was made for about two times the budget of the prior entry. Uh, came in at, at about $1.2 versus six hundred k. Uh, which I guess was thanks to an infusion of cash from United Artists. Um, based on the popularity of the first two movies, they thought, hey, we can make some money here. Let's try and invest in this picture. And, and this is what we ended up with. Uh, the plot of the movie is fairly simple. Uh, it involves three different outlaw dudes that hear about a dude named Jackson and or Bill Carson who ripped off a grip of Confederate gold and then stashed it somewhere. Um, so the three of these guys are trying to get at that gold, you know, even if it means temporarily allying with one another or temporarily uh, double-crossing one another at various turns. Um, you know, these three guys are uh, shifting allegiances, sort of. 
complicating things are the fact that the civil war is raging all around them. Uh, and also that not all of these guys have all the info that they need uh, to find the gold. They've each got kind of a different piece of the puzzle. And so they need to rely on each other at different points in the story. Uh, there's also, you know, other bits of plot here and there, you know, like the stuff at the start of this where Clint Eastwood and, uh, and Tuco, uh, the ugly, uh, have this little ruse going where Eastwood turns Tuco in for uh, various bounties that are on his head. And then when he's being hanged, rather than letting Tuco be hanged to death, he'll uh, like shoot out the rope that he's being hanged with from a distance so that they can uh, escape together and, and split the um, the reward, uh, the bounty that was on the ugly's head. Uh, so, you know, they're doing that at the beginning of this movie. And then later in the movie, there's a, a bit of a plot line involving a civil war bridge um, where there's this big battle between these two different battalions uh, on this bridge. But for the most part, the story is just kind of all about that quest for gold that these three dudes are on. And even though this movie is hugely beloved, I'm actually not fully sure that Bowman is going to love this. I mean, partially because, you know, you said last week that you didn't love the first entry in this series, but also because of like what kind of a movie this is, you know, like in particular on the, you know, on the spectrum of plot heavy movies versus like visual tone poems, you know, this movie is a lot closer to a workmeister harmony than it is like an Aaron Sorkin movie or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, It's fairly sparse on dialogue. Uh, You know, the focus really is on these kind of incredible shots of these wide open desert landscapes. And then these, uh, you know, grizzled sweaty faces that get close-ups in between those, those wide vistas. And so it is, you know, maybe a, a little bit different than, the kinds of movies that I typically associate with Bowman, which are maybe more plot heavy, more focused on dialogue and things like this. But this is more of just kind of a visual, you know, essay in a way. And it's got that great music, you know, from Ennio Marconi that, that ties the whole movie together, you know, from the, all the way from the fun little animated opening credits to the the very end credits. Um, but again, you know, less, less plot, especially for a movie that's three hours long. There's not a, not a ton of plot in this, but, uh, you know, considering that the plot is simple, we get to instead spend a lot of time just kind of hanging out with these characters and, you know, observing how they approach these situations differently, you know, um, which is a great treat because, you know, these characters are fucking awesome. If you ask me, I mean, I I guess my favorite is the bad boy, uh, Lee Van Cleef, who in this Mm -hmm. looks like a rattlesnake turned gunslinger. You know what I mean? Uh, he's got just yeah. the right kind of flat brimmed black old West hat on his head that tells you how bad of a motherfucker he is, you know? Yeah. He's evil looking. Like he looks like if robot Satan from Futurama was a dude. Like <laughs> exactly. Yeah. The greatest nostrils on any villainous character actor of all time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the great things about this movie, you know, is just how distinctive these three characters are. You could look at their silhouettes from a distance and, you know, based partially on the shape of their hats, but also just on the way that they stand, the shape of their body frame, like everything about them conveys, you know, just visually immediately, like who they are, 
how they're going to figure into this plot line. Um, and it's wonderful, you know? Um, I also love this ugly kid, Tuco, I guess uh, I would call him, uh, <laughs> Eli Wallach playing the ugly in this, um, is just so funny in, in this role. He's just like a ball of manic energy and it's a ton of fun to see him play off of Eastwood, who is, you know, obviously more stoic and kind of silent. Um, I guess it would have been nice if this was made at a time when they might've cast like an actual real Mexican actor for this Mexican <laughs> role, mm-hmm. but and you not, know, not a Polish dude from New York. Yeah. I mean, considering also that they do populate it with some, I don't know if they were Spanish guys, but some certainly like darker skinned, more believably Mexican people, uh, in smaller roles. But then, you know, they do that classic Hollywood thing of like the main guy. It's gotta be, you know, an American actor, you know, and at that point in time that meant a certain thing. So, I can't really judge the movie for that. That's just the time that this was made in. And Eli does an incredible job in the role. So that is what it is. Um, and Eastwood is Eastwood. And I, I love 1960s Clint Eastwood. Um, his character in this is not especially good, despite the fact that he's called the good. I mean, he does his fair share of pretty jacked up stuff in this movie. I mean, he's slightly less evil than Lee Van Cleef, but you know, it's clear when you watch this movie that this is like a cutthroat kind of world where uh, everybody's looking out for themselves. And, you know, his character clear, clearly matches that. Um, you also got some. Go ahead. Well, yeah, like, I mean, we we learn more about him as things go on and he becomes a little bit more. I, I mean, fair is the right word, maybe, and not not so much good. But when we're like the first intro we get of him, he's like the biggest piece of shit on earth. Like when he leaves Tuco out in the desert, I was just like, how the fuck am I going to root for this guy ever? Like this guy's <laughs> like fucking awful. Like, I mean, I appreciated the joke of the good being like a piece of shit. Um, but yeah, like that like seemed pretty unforgivable to just leave a man to, to die a horrible, painful, like stretched out long death. Um, so yeah, so well, I, Tugo was talking trash, you know, and, and he's not going to put up with that kind of guff. Well, that's true. But I mean, at least shoot the guy. I mean, don't let him. Yeah. You know, I mean, luckily, I mean, they just smash cut to Tuco being safe and sound. So, I mean, it, it wasn't like a real problem for him, I guess. But like it was, you know, it's like, come on, if you're going to double cross somebody, just shoot him, shoot him in the face. I, I mean, I guess nobody in this. Well, I guess Angel Eyes does it at the very beginning. But outside of that, like people. Like when people double cross other people in this movie, they're they're like they got real elaborate ways for them to be tortured to death rather than just shooting them, which I guess I respect. Yeah, I mean it, this is a you know a revisionist western, you know, coming out in the late '60s, and and I think yeah, Leone wanted to make things more violent and more realistic to what it would have been like in the old west. That probably you know the the people that we think of as having been the good guys historically. I'm sure they did a ton of horrible shit there in the old West because that's just the world that they lived in and he wouldn't have survived otherwise. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, outside of these, uh, these three main characters, you also got a lot of incredible faces in the small roles, you know, just great casting of these extras. Um, I love the hollow cheeked headhunter who we see close up in the first shot of the movie and then comes back later to, uh, apprehend Tuco in his uh, bubble bath. 
that guy's got the craziest face and I fucking love it. Uh, there's also that mouse-like old man who works at the local gun store when Tuco needs a gun, who I think is really fun in this. Uh, there's a legless man in this called Shorty, which is a fun thing that they used to do in movies. Um, and you got pl- yeah. you know plenty of incredible. Oh, go ahead. You got you got Sh- comments on Shorty. Yeah, I got <laughs> indeed. I do. Shorty also may be the worst dubbed character in any movie I've ever seen. <laughs> Like the voice doesn't match him. It doesn't match his lips whatsoever. Um, so, so in addition to not having any legs, he also uh, is notable for just the absolute worst dubbing uh, of all time. He was blind. What do you expect? Oh, all right. Fair. I didn't realize that, but fair enough, Kevin. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. If he was blind, I, then that makes sense. Why? <laughs> right. Um. But besides, you know, the incredible casting, there's also just incredible filmmaking going on here. Uh, Leone is really good at building tension. I mean, most famously in, in the Mexican standoff at the end of this movie, that is just top-notch filmmaking. That I, In my mind, I could watch that thing a thousand times and, and never get sick of like the final five minutes of this movie. Uh, but also yeah. in other scenes, you know, like there's the one where Tuco's hitmen are, are creeping up on Eastwood in, in the hotel room. And the way that they cut between Eastwood in the hotel room and the men in the hallway, and then also this military parade that's going on outside, to me feels like something that you would see like Brian De Palma doing later on in movies like Blowout, or mm-hmm. even just a couple of years after this, Peckinpah did something similar in the beginning of uh, The Wild Bunch. Um, but just a great way to, to build tension, like cutting between these three different events and it's just a great looking movie as well. Overall, you know, nothing in this movie looks like a set. Uh, you know, a lot of the action takes place in these bombed out, you know, post-combat civil war towns, you know, with these ratty ass old buildings that feel completely lived in. And the same goes for the costumes, you know, like Tuco has these cowboy boots on that are so beat up that his toes are sticking out of the ends of it. Um, and I love that kind of stuff. Um, I think there is a bit of like a Vietnam War influence in this movie as well, like in terms of the depiction of those bombed out towns and just kind of this overall sentiment of, you know, the horrors of war, which I think for 66 is, is pretty early to be, you know, commenting on Vietnam in film. Um, yeah. And I mean, yeah, just like the uselessness of it. I mean, like the the good choice here that is made is to blow up the bridge so that people have to stop fighting because yeah, these two sides are just endlessly killing people for absolutely no reason, just fighting over this bridge like over and over. So yeah, I definitely think that there's some Vietnam in there. And then also, I mean, Leone was a dude who was growing up in Italy during world war two. So, I mean, I'm sure being, you know, uh, growing up in a place where you a lost a huge war and b lost a huge war because you sided with Hitler probably yeah. influenced him to yeah have like a you know, have a real kind of negative view of of war in general I would imagine and not that anybody has like a positive war or view well, on war but but in films up until this point I think you well, could yeah. probably look and see that ninety nine percent of the time it was portrayed as something heroic and exciting and I mean this yeah. insight of like the only way to win is not to play the game. I mean, it took 
Joshua from War Games 20 years before he was onto that tip. And <laughs> here Leone is without even a computer brain in his head. And he, he's got it in the 60s. Yeah, true. That is true. Um, other than that, I mean, I, I will say that in my lifetime, they have started adding in extra footage to this movie that was not originally in the U.S. cut of it. It's about 15 minutes worth of stuff. And it kind of varies in quality in my assessment. Like there is this one scene with Tuco in a cave where he meets up with some bandits that he employs that I have always felt like is kind of weak. And and I remember seeing it like included as like a DVD extra of like, Oh, here's a scene that we cut. And I was always like, Oh, well it's, it's good that you cut this because the scene is kind of <laughs> weird and boring, but it's back in the runtime now. Uh, but a lot of the stuff that they did add back in is good and, and worthwhile. There's some more stuff of, Tuco uh, torturing Blondie in the desert that's not in um, the original U.S. cut that I'm, I'm glad that they've re-added. So a, slightly a mixed bag in terms of that stuff. But on the whole, even at three hours, I'll take more of this movie because I think it fucking rules. Uh, I think this is probably like the 10th time I've seen this. Um, and I guess I am getting old now because this was the first time that I ever watched this and had the feeling while watching it of well, I, I hope these extras in, in these war battle scenes didn't get terribly maimed by all this cannon fire. Cause it, it does look pretty gnarly. Some of these shots, you see these guys yeah. getting pretty close to the cannon fire. Well, there's um, the scene where they blow up the bridge. Uh, like we're like the camera's set up so that the bridge is way in the background. And then our heroes are like kind of in the, the middle ground. It's like not exactly the foreground, but like a little bit up from the foreground. And like, there's like a huge rock or something that just flies like right to yeah. them and it misses yeah. the actors and the camera by like three feet or something. Like it's insane. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it looks like this was a pretty rough and tumble production and again, hope everybody was safe making this, but man, cannot argue with the results. This is such a fucking badass movie that I will always love. Um, and for a movie this old to still feel this tough, I think is fucking cool. But Anyhow, Bowman, just lay it on me. Is this a five-star movie? <laughs> Before I get to that, we got some important news that I want to announce. Okay. Uh, Luca Guadagnino, the Oscar-winning director who did uh, many movies. You know this guy? Mm, give me a movie. He did, uh, Call Me By Your Name. He did that movie. Oh, yeah. I, I like that movie. Yeah, he uh, is going to direct the new HBO show, The Shards, based on the Brett Easton Ellis novel. And Brett Easton Ellis is writing every one of the episodes. So that is exciting news. I don't want it. (laughs) (laughs) That I just needed to break in here to tell you before I get to whether or not this is a five-star movie. Okay. Any other completely irrelevant bits of news you want to wedge into this review of this movie that everybody's clamoring to hear what you thought of. Um, well, I, well, okay. So it's a little difficult that we're trying to go for these, these five star movies. Um, because you feel like it puts too much pressure on it. Well, no, not, not because we're recording them. Like in my case, like not even 24 hours after watching the movie. And yeah. usually when I rank a, a movie five stars, like I'll, I'll watch it and, you know, like we'll do it on the show. Like I think maybe like the last one I did was um, like Man Bites Dog or something like that. 
Um, and you know, like we watched it and I was like, oh yeah, this is really good. You know? And like, I, I did my little 4.5 rating and then like, you know, I kept thinking about it and thinking about it and thinking about it. And then like three weeks later, I was like, ah, fuck it. It's five stars. So that may very well happen with this movie. It may, but it sounds like it hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet. But I four point five easily, easily. Okay, and if we round that up, I mean four point five rounded up is five. That well, that's true. If you want to do that, that breaks the rules of Letterboxd. Um, it's only because Letterboxd offers such granularity in their rankings that we've even been saddled with this four point five star rating. I, if I talk <laughs> to somebody at Letterboxd and change how it works over there, maybe we get this corrected. That's true. If it was, if there were no point fives, I would, I would rate this five over four for sure. Um, you know, I, recently I actually gave five stars to the book "The Shards" by Brad Easton Ellis over on Goodreads. I don't want it. <laughs> but okay, so well, all right. So I, I, I like this a great deal. I perhaps even love it. I love parts of it. There are like. 120 minutes of this movie that I love. And then there are like somewhere between 45 and 60 minutes of this movie that are very slow. What the fuck? And very redundant. What are the slow parts? Um, the slow part. Well, it's like not even like parts necessarily, but it's just seems like a lot of the scenes kind of go on it for a little bit too long sometimes or like, like for for example, we're getting like right to the heat of the stuff. Like the war is happening, um, and also I want to preface this by saying, easy four point five star movie. So these are not like big gripes at all. This isn't like game, you know. This is you know. I'm not saying I I dislike this movie because of these gripes. These are just the gripes that stop it from being a masterpiece. Sounds like you hate it to me. No, no, not far from it. But um, so all right, so we're in the big thick of things. There's a big climax, and then, um, and then Tuco gets to the graveyard, and he's like looking for the grave, right? And so we see him run from one end of the cemetery to the other. Yeah, and he does with, he does with maybe the most incredible sequence of shots of a man running of all time, where like the <laughs> camera is panning around at like breakneck speeds, but yet keeping. Tuco right in the center of the frame as like the background blurs to all hell behind him. Well, that is pretty good, but they do it like 17 times. Of course they do it 17 times. It's the greatest <laughs> thing to ever happen in a movie. And they had the perfect music to put under it. And they, it's not like they're going to trim this music from the maestro, you know, so you to <laughs> throw in some extra repeated shots so that it, it fits the meter of the song. Well, that actually is a good point. I actually, uh, I either read it or heard it in my research. Um, that Morricone did the score first before they edited the movie. So a lot of the scenes did just kind of go on to fit the song rather than vice versa, which may explain some of the, some of this that you're saying. Um, but yeah, like that which, it's like, which I think is to the movie's benefit though. I mean, I, I don't, it's a different way of working than I think most features are probably made now, but I don't necessarily think it's a, a worse way of working. It makes the scenes go longer. That's for sure. It does. That's undeniable. 
um, but I mean, it's like, you know, it's like that deserves an exposition shot, you know, like you can do like a long, you know, like a wide shot of like a lot of graves and then Tuco being like, Oh, golly gee, you know, like, it's like, that's a, like, that's the kind of shot where like, we need information more than we need to see a guy running. I think. So like just a little, little stuff, little stuff like that. Tighten it up a little bit, maybe. Well, you know, the, the name of the, the the track that's playing for Morricone during that moment is the ecstasy of gold. And in my mind, like I, <laughs> I always felt like that scene perfectly conveys that feeling of like, you know, Tuco's out of his mind. He's, he's delirious with excitement over the fact that he's going to find this $200,000. And that's how you convey that is, is with this sequence of shots where he's just looping around endlessly and then you get that great cut at the end where it cuts like right to the, the grave that says Arch Stanton. You know, he's, he's found it. I do like that cut. Um, but like little, little, that's not even a big deal. So I'm not like, I don't want to harp on it too, too much. Um, the scene where tu- with Tuco and his brother, though, kind of boring. Kinda the Padre. Boring yeah. They could cut that part out. You know, we're, we're fleshing out this character. We're learning about his troubled family life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But it's not, 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 you know, not a big deal. But, um, so I don't know. I mean, you could tighten it up. It's a three hour movie where like the plot doesn't even come into play until like the 90 minute mark. So like you could could tighten it up a little bit, tighten that up. Uh, but that's really my only gripe. Everything else about this movie is perfect. So, um, so I, I don't know. I think I watched the three hour long version rather than the two hour 45, like original version. So I feel like I, like if I had watched that version, maybe it'd be five stars already. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah. cause that version is tight. That's exactly what I'm talking about. So, um, cause I also didn't like that chicken scene. We could have done without that. Yeah. I think the longer cut might be the only way that you can get like the best pixels on this. Now I, th- I think like the 4k is always the long cut now, but I, I could be wrong. That's how they get you. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, but anyway, so like not a lot of, uh, not a lot of complaints other than just like that. But I, I love, I love this man. Angel eyes. He's the fucking coolest character I've ever seen in a movie. Uh, the beginning scene with him where he shows up, he's in the doorway. It's ominous. He looks like he's a serial killer. Um, he just sits right down and starts eating that guy's food. And, you know, you have like this tense fucking scene. So good that Quentin Tarantino stole it for Inglorious Bastards, just ripped it off the whole thing. <laughs> and I respect that. Um, so I like that. I wish we would have got a little bit more of him, actually. Like I, he kind of disappears for a little bit, um, which I think is kind of a bummer. Um, he was, you know, like I said, my favorite character. I, I would have liked to have seen more. Um, Tuco, I, I love. Did you well. ever? Did you ever dig into any other Lee Van Cleef westerns? Because the dude did a bunch of cool ones, like The Big Gun Down, and just overall that guy fucking ruled. I think it's possible he's in High Noon. As like a, oh. a thug, maybe I might be misremembering that. Let me that. 
But uh, no, I think maybe the only other thing, if he's not in High Noon, that I've seen of his is um, Escape from New York. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, he's in High Noon. Yeah, he plays one of the bad guys. Looks like pretty low billing, though. You got to see some of these leading oh, roles yeah. for the Cleafster. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, pretty low. He had a, he so, had a good run. Death Rides a Horse. That's another good one. Okay. Yeah, I'll check some of these out. I want to see this few dollars more that uh, apparently he's the star of. Well, he's, he's second build in it. Oh, well, that's ridiculous. But um, so I like him. I like Tuco a lot. I like Tuco uh, mainly because uh, he inspired uh, Breaking Bad. There's a character on that show named Tuco, named after this character. So I, I like that. Um, he. He, I think I feel like he gets the most screen time out of these three guys, which I don't think is necessary. Um, but I do like him a great deal. Um, I like when we're introduced to him. Like we get those dudes who like we think that they're about to to have a shootout amongst each other, you know. And then, but it turns out that they're posseing up to try to take Tuco out. But Tuco jumps out the window to evade them. Uh, like that. I uh, like the scene where he almost gets his fucking arm ripped off by a train. Uh, by, yeah. By, yeah. Like that looked scary as fuck and was real. Like they were just like, hey, actor, put your entire hand two inches away from a locomotive, please. Um, yeah. While you're chained to some big ass dummy that, by the way, <laughs> that dummy looked pretty realistic when it got hit by the train. Like it to me just looks like a like a real fucking corpse getting rolled over. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that was great. And reminded me of my favorite episode of Tales from the Crypt, uh, Carrion Death, where I think it's Kyle MacLachlan has a guy, uh, has a dead body handcuffed to him in the desert. He has to, to try to escape the desert to safety. Oh. I, f- I felt like it was, actually, I guess it wouldn't have been influenced by this because it was based on the EC Comics that did it first. So never mind. Forget that. Uh, Sergio Leone ripped... Ripped off EC Comics, for sure. Um, Clint Eastwood in this is great. He is the toughest man I've ever seen. And I love that he's like, a, you know, the good man. He's a good guy who is a real piece of shit, except for what he does to Tuco at the beginning. That's like a little bit too much of a piece of shit move, I felt. But outside of that, I feel like he's he's a perfectly reasonable piece of shit to everybody. And, you know, spoiler alert for this movie that we've already spoiled, but like at the end, you've got this standoff with these, with these three guys, right? These three guys who are all morally ambiguous. They've all double crossed each other multiple times. They're all kind of frenemies. I guess angel eyes is straight up an, an enemy. Like, you know, they're having this standoff where it's like, they all might shoot each other for the gold and who's going to shoot who. And everybody's thinking, trying to play this chess game of who do I shoot first? Who's going to shoot me? Who do I hate the most? Who hates me the most? Like, who do I have the best shot of killing? You know, how do I play this? And it goes on and on. And in, in a good way, in a good way, it's perfect. Um, you know, we're getting the close-ups of the eyes as they look around. We're getting the itchy trigger fingers, all this, to all this lead up. It's beautiful. Everybody's Close-ups sweating. of Lee Van Cleef's missing finger, which is a, a fun little detail in this. Indeed. Indeed. We're getting that. We're, you know, it's beautiful. You're on, on the edge of your seat. Who's going to shoot who? How are they going to play this thing? 
rigged from the start because Clint Eastwood is a piece of shit. <laughs> he stole Tuco's bullets the night before and just shoots uh, Angel Eyes right in the face and kills him. And that's your good guy. And like, that's so beautiful, I feel like, um, to have this extremely tense scene that there, that uh, is not like the whole time, like we're tense. Clint Eastwood is thinking, yeah, I'm just going to shoot this guy. There's no, <laughs> I'm not in any danger. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful to see. So I like that. And throughout the whole movie, there's examples of him having kind of the upper hand in like a silent way, you know, the name on the on the tombstone and, and all this stuff. Like we always think that things might be worse for him than they actually are, you know, which is kind of fun. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, even when things are bad, like he still manages, like he, he looks on his side. Like there's a scene where Tuco finds him and he's like telling him to to hang himself in the hotel room and he just happens to get hit by by cannon fire and he escapes when Tuco looks up in the, in the demolished hotel room, he sees the noose, but he doesn't see Clint Eastwood. And then they play the song. <laughs> they do that. That's one of those moves. Like, which is like such a wonderful, like hero. Uh, like anytime anybody does anything cool, you get that sound. So it's like pretty perfect. You always know when somebody's being cool. That stunt too, like just the whole part where they're like blowing up this hotel with cannon fire looks fucking incredible. Looks so dangerous again. Like it's like the building collapses and the dude like falls right through it. So hopefully again, hopefully that guy's okay, but it looks so cool. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of, a lot of hopefully that guy's okay scenes. Like, I mean, they just straight up tie a noose around uh, Tuco's neck and put him on in precarious situations like all the time. Like, I mean, it's very dangerous for him. Um, there's a couple of silly scenes where Clint Eastwood shoots people's hats off, which I thought was kind of like goofy. Oh, um, if you don't like that, you're not going to like uh, for a few dollars more. There's like a 30 minute scene. That's all <laughs> about hat shooting. Oh No, which I liked, but you know, I guess you might not. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think my problem with it is like, there was like no good special effect yet for that. Like, it's just, all right, we're going to pull this hat off with some string. Yeah. In the other one, they, they made the decision to do it at nighttime, which I think helps with those strings. Okay. Okay. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll like that. Um, I love all the war stuff. I love like there's like that scene where like they're like trying to get the uh, the explosives down to the bridge to blow it up and they're like pretending to be like medical dudes, you know, like <laughs> it's like so like it's like so like benignly evil, like the idea that you're pretending to to be doctors or uh, you know helping uh, injured people or helping to carry corpses off the battlefield when really you're just looking to blow up more people. Um, I like Angel Eyes torturing dudes and having the band play to, to mask, mask the torture sounds. I think that's one of the more evil things I've ever heard of in life. Um, I like that he's always eating, you know, like when he's like being evil, like there's obviously the scene at the beginning. And then when he meets up with Tuco, um, he offers Tuco that food and Tuco's like, well, I don't know if I want to eat this. And so he 
gets a big spoonful of it and eats it himself. It seems like whenever he's doing his most evil stuff, he's eating, which I, I respect. And it, it like always looks like he's just eating like just guacamole, just spoonfuls of guacamole, which <laughs> yeah. I think is cool. There's one scene where people are eating what to me looked like just pickled jalapenos, but by the spoonful. It's pretty weird. <laughs> I respect that. Um, trying to think of some of the other cool stuff. Like the fact that this goes from like a, a gun slinging Western to like just a straight up war movie, I think is like really interesting. Like, I mean, you don't get a lot of Western civil war movies because I mean, there wasn't like a lot of Western civil war, I guess would probably be the reason for that. But, um, but it's like really interesting, you know, like visually like war in a desert. Like, I, I guess you don't ever really see, especially civil war. Um, so it's, it's cool to see that. Um, and then, yeah, like the, you know, like you said, like the, the only way to win the war is to just not even involve yourself in the war. Um, I like, I like that stuff. I like that. It kind of, you know, like you did does sort of bring out this tender side of these folks, you know, like you get to see Clint Eastwood, like I made a joke about earlier, like he finds the, like the little kid that's dying, not a little kid. He's like 17 or something. I bet like, and he kind of comforts him while he's dying and stuff, which you would maybe not expect from a guy who's a, a real piece of shit like him. Uh, so, you know, so you get the idea that like, even though these guys kill a lot of guys, you know, seeing 10,000 guys get killed in an hour is kind of like, they're like, ah, oh, well, this is like a whole nother thing. Maybe I should not be such a piece of shit in the, you know, in the wake of such huge monumental tragedies such as this. Uh, but they, but nobody ever says anything like that. Like it's just in little performances, like giving a guy a cigar or like little looks between guys or whatever. Um, so I like that. Um, I like the opening credits a great deal. Yeah. They're very cool. Um, I like all the stuff in this that Quentin Tarantino liked and then took for himself. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that opening scene and, uh, and Morricone. yeah, the Morricone's the, uh, like people will, you know, point guns at the camera and you get like real close up shots of like gun barrels and stuff like that. I feel like that's a Tarantino thing he took and that's fine. I, I'm like, it's so like, why not? You know, if something rules, fucking take it who gives a shit like i'm i'm all right with that um yeah i don't yeah this is a very good movie it's a very good movie this is your favorite of the three in this it quote unquote is. series yeah but the follow-up to this which is uh once upon a time in the west with charles bronson i might like that even more i was actually um, when i when i looked up this sergio uh, I saw that, yeah, he had a Bronson movie, which I did not know. And I was curious as to why you didn't pick that. I figured that would be your favorite because it's Bronson. I feel like this is the more universally loved. And I feel like it's it's more important for you to see this first. Like, if you're only going to see one, see this. This is like the, you know, it's, it's the classic that everybody loves. But for me, being a Bronson man, uh, yeah, I do like that Once Upon a Time in the West. You like that Magnificent Seven? I do, but that's not this director. Yeah. That's but it is, yeah, it's got Bronson. Bronson. Well, I like this a great deal. 
uh, when I, you know, after this, I'm going to put 4.5 on my letterbox, uh, but I will probably watch it again soon. And that may very well change. I imagine it might, especially if I watch that shorter cut because this movie's great. But either way, I love it. <laughs> what did Kevin think about this? I thought this was a lot of fun. Oh, cool. All right. Nice. Mm-hmm. Um, and now we come, I think, officially to the most exciting part of the show, right? Wherein we find out what we'll be reviewing, not next week, because next week is a Kevin week, but the week after. Yeah. This is the part of the show where we do like the close ups of our eyes and like the sweet, <laughs> the, sweet the sweat exactly, beating yeah. up. <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, tapping so- the, uh, the barrel of my gun right now with my index finger. <laughs> so, okay. Um, so a couple of questions for you before I pick the movie, the ghost story with Casey Affleck. You like that movie? I do like it. Would you say you like it five stars worth? Mm, I don't, I don't remember liking it that much, but I, I liked it quite a bit. I think. Okay. The movie, the swimmer that we did for the show starring Burt Lancaster. How much did you like that movie? I was not a huge fan of that one even though I thought that I should be. And maybe if I rewatch it, I, I might like it more. But on first pass, I was just kind of like, I don't like this Burt Lancaster. Okay. How much you like these movies is going to inform which, which movie I pick. Um, Braveheart, how much do you like that movie? I haven't seen it since probably like 1999. But I, I liked it, you know, back then when I was a kid. Okay. Okay. The movie RoboCop, you like a great deal? Yeah, that's a five-star banger. Okay. Now, would you say that you like hard-boiled detectives or chivalrous knights more? I think I like hard-boiled private dicks. It's usually what I call them. I do like a good private dick myself. <clears throat> As opposed to a public dick, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have seen the movie Snake Eyes starring Nick Cage. Love it. Love his private dickery that he does in that movie. There is private dickery in that movie. And I'm not talking about Gary Sinise, <laughs> who I've heard is kind of a dick in private. Uh, he was nice to me. Yeah, that's not um, what you said off here. Oh, busted. Um, hmm. All right. I think. I think we got something going here. Okay. I think we got something going here. Now, hmm, okay. I think we got something going here. I think I'm going to choose a movie called, now you've, I don't think you've seen this. It's on the list. So I think I asked you, but maybe you have seen this. Have you seen a movie called Thief from 1981? I have not scene thief this is a, a michael mann this is a michael mann film yeah never never saw the thief okay i got two michael mann movies on this list this is the one i like less than the other one but i think you might like more so we're gonna do thief from 1981 the michael mann movie very nice <laughs> i think you're gonna like it it's a very pretty movie Okay. Yeah. I, this, I mean, I think it's, it's, uh, it's known for being kind of a, a good looking movie, right? It's got some cool cinematography. 
Oh yeah. Some of the best cinematography, like, do you like neon cinematography? Like a guy photographing neon lights? I do. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a huge, uh, Nick Reffin fan, right? This is kind of Reffin-esque. I would say Reffin probably loves this movie. It also stars James Caan, who recently passed away and is very cool. And Jim Belushi, who we all wish would pass away. (laughs) It's also true. Uh, I don't know. I got to be honest though. I kind of like Jim Belushi, so I'm going to take that back. Okay. Sorry, Jim. I, I remember him being kind of good in this movie. It's been a while since I've seen it. Looks like uh, Willie Nelson's in it, too. Yeah. That's something. All right. All, All right, right, I think. Thief. Yeah, 1981. Uh-huh. I, I know for a fact that the Michael Mann movie, To Live and Die in L.A., you gave five stars on Letterboxd. So I think I think this got a good chance here. I think we got a good chance yeah, and I, I liked Heat and something else he did. I didn't see the Miami Vice. That's a piece of crap. You like that movie Collateral with Tom Cruise? Still haven't seen it. Oh, that's a great Los Angeles movie. If you like seeing Los Angeles photographed, you would love Collateral. All right. Well, Man, I'm open to it. If you like this thief, then maybe we'll just do Collateral next because I actually I think you might like that movie. All right. Well, let's let's get Michael Mann to the top of my letterboxed most watched directors <laughs> list. We just may. He's got a lot of movies that I, I really think you will like. You haven't seen apparently. So, well, we'll see. We'll see how you like Thief. And then maybe, maybe that'll throw a wrench in everything. But that's the way to go here. Cool. I think it's, is it streaming somewhere? I think I, I saw it on some service recently. I can't remember. Uh Ubi TV right now, or you can rent it from Vudu if you don't want to put up with any ads. Oh, it's on the Criterion channel. Okay. I'll take that then. Yeah. They probably got so many fucking pixels. Oh, you won't even fucking believe the pixels they got over there. (laughs) All right. Thief. Thief it is. Well, that's exciting. Um, And I guess now... We are at the end of the show, the true end of the show, uh, where all the business has already been settled, and the only thing remaining is for me to to go through, you know, the the regular announcements that we have here at the end of the episodes, uh, which include announcing next week's movies, which you know I think we announced when we had Kevin on the show last, but uh, next week will be junk food dinner episode six six five, getting close to that satanic theme show. Uh, Kevin will be back, and the movies that we're reviewing will include Journey to the Center of the Earth from 1959, Perdita Durango from 1997, and The Great Yokai War uh, from 2005. That's one of those Takashi Mikes. Um, between now and then, you can do all of the usual things. You can visit junkfooddinner.com, where you can find all kinds of back episodes of the show. You could visit patreon.com slash junkfooddinner, uh, where you'll find all kinds of back episodes of our special boner episodes, um, the junk food desserts. Uh, you could send us an email at jftpodcast at gmail.com or leave us a message at 347-746-JUNK. That's 347-746-5865. Uh, or find us on Discord, Instagram, Facebook, all of the places on the internet. We're a... We're probably there, you know, so come find us, come party with us. 
uh, and we'll have a good time. But until then, this is your friend, Sen Byro, for your other friend, Perky Beantown Bowman, saying, keep washing them dishes. We gotta keep those drops around forever. Ha, ha, ha.